A.K.A. Jimmy Dean Sausage, Davenport. Um, and we're just going to have a good conversation today. It's uh, a joy to be on staff with these two fine, fine people. Um, really, really thankful for them in their areas of oversight. And uh, it's a great day to be a staff member at the Vine Church. Wouldn't you agree, Laurel? Amen. Amen. James? Cool. Yes, sir. We're recording this in my office, and we thought it'd just be great to have an episode where we talk about lots of different things. And the first thing I wanted to ask you guys is, uh, what is it like, like, what's your guys' impression of church in the time of COVID? Like, what have, the, what have been some thoughts that you've had, reflections that you've had, um, what's been uh, challenging about it? What's been not as challenging about it? Um, how is it affecting you spiritually? I could start a little bit. Um, at, at the outset, it was like, wow, this is kind of fun. You know, like we could have church in our jammies. Or, you know, for me, it was like I've never had my family participate with me on a Sunday morning like we were able to participate. So like for basically all of my married life, whether as a preaching pastor or as a music pastor, um, Kim has not been able to go to church with me for the most part, unless I'm on vacation or something, but then typically we're traveling. But like just that first few weeks of we're live streaming from my living room. I do music with my kids. Uh, and then we just sit down and have family meal after that. Like, and, and we don't have to like, jump out of bed at, you know, six or six thirty like I usually would do. It was it was kinda nice, you know? Um now things have evolved since then in terms of my feelings, but what about for you guys? I would agree. It was lovely to not have a rushed Sunday morning, but be able to just um have a relaxed morning, coffee with my husband, and then just gently move to the living room, open up our laptop and enjoy church. It was very nice. Well, I would agree as well. Um, I thought when things were beginning there in March that, um, yeah, we can do this for a month. We can uh, do church from home and it'll be a, a fun adventure uh, for a month. Uh, it seemed very manageable. But I think um, I... I, I I, I did not think that this would we'd still be in this, you know, come now September. So uh, I think what the difficulty uh, or or what maybe it's what it revealed is just uh, just the, the re- relationships are a big deal and seeing people uh, and just missing uh, that interaction. Uh, we can consume a lot of things on a screen, um, but it's hard to um, I don't know. It's hard to. Uh, 
just maintain relationships with with folks that sometimes you just took for granted for seeing on on Sunday and and hearing how they're doing, seeing their face, their countenance um, is no longer there. Um, maybe you get a wave on a you know the live stream of somebody tuning in, but James, it's just not the same thing. You're making me feel sad. <laughs> this is a really sad conversation. Well, Zach asked to say what was challenging. I just It's been challenging for me. I miss you. It has been challenging for me, too. It's hard to disciple, to shepherd, to care for people virtually when you're not seeing them week in and week out. Yeah. And I think that's been one of the hardest things is just not seeing people that I consider like family. Right. Not getting to see them regularly and, um, yeah, really not having my finger on the pulse of how they're really doing Mm -hmm. and you miss looking people in the eye you miss hugging you miss touching in a good way right (laughs) um yes yeah and you miss those casual side conversations that are really hard to have on zoom or even on the phone everything's very intentional and focused now and so you just miss that relaxed um atmosphere of being able to joke or tease or encourage spontaneously yep so let me ask this, like, are there things that we've learned in this, what's it been? Let's see. Like March, six months. April, May, June, July, August, September. Yeah. So like almost six months. Yeah. We've endured six months. Are there things that we've learned in terms of how to do church in these six months, in the midst of the struggle that might transcend uh, into the future? So like one, one for me is like, as much as I detest Zoom after being like Zoomed out, obviously, um, I have learned that it can be a great substitute for meetings um, if we need like an efficient meeting uh, and you don't want to like drive 20 minutes to like connect with somebody. Like, for example, our prayer meeting, like it's a very easy on-ramp to get people together to pray. Whereas like if it's, 10 below outside in the dead of winter in February and we have a prayer meeting at church, that's just a harder on-ramp. People have to overcome the obstacle of, I got to put on all my, you know, all my big warm clothes. I got to get in the car. I got to defrost the car. I got to drive across town. You know what I mean? I could see a Zoom prayer meeting just continuing. Um, I didn't, I never thought of that pre-COVID. That hey, why don't because Zoom existed pre-COVID? Um, really? Yes, it did. Yeah, yes, it did. <laughs> <laughs> James and I are sharing a mic, so if uh, there's some challenges, um, so you guys have any thoughts on like have there, have there been things that we've learned uh, about how to do church life from existing in the COVID period here? Something I didn't do very much of before that I've done a lot of since COVID that I will probably continue doing is just meeting outdoors and taking walks and getting into nature with people in my own personal discipline. I love taking walks and do lots of prayer walking, um, but able been able to do that with lots of different women or just meeting outside and appreciating the element that that brings in just being in God's creation. So I could see that as something that I do long-term just as a form of, of care and discipleship with people. Yeah, that's good. Um, yeah, I would say the same on both those. I think to it, I think it's like maybe brought more clarity of, um, we, we should always be encouraging people. Um, 
but I think anytime you take away one form of how you do church, of actually seeing people, it maybe sharpens how you do other things. And what I'm trying to say, I guess, is just writing notes or slacking uh, encouragement to folks um, probably wasn't as big of my diet of interaction with people, um, but realizing uh, just the importance of staying in touch, whether we can't be in person, but you can certainly send a note, um, let them know you're thinking or praying or, or whatnot about people. But obviously that transcends of these are things we should be doing, um, but brought to the forefront when you can't see each other every week. I would agree, James, like there has to be, there's been a much more intentional mindset of practicing affirmation. And I've actually carved out time in my week where I would just work through a list and pray through like, who, who can I reach out to this week and who can I encourage? And I can't say that that was a part of my regular rhythm pre-COVID. So I think that that's a good discipline is practicing affirmation. Yeah. Amen. Like it's, it's definitely like a, a void a relational void. Mm-hmm. Um, and so trying to think creatively about how to maintain connections with people and my word, like praise God for the time and space we live in. Like if this was a hundred years ago, there's no FaceTime, there's no email, there's no Slack. There's no, I mean, there's so many ways to try to stay connected. Um, and so I think that's been something that I would agree, like has really pushed to the forefront of my brain is like, I might not be able to see these people in person and the regular rhythm of every seven days I'm seeing most of these people in person not being there um, is forced us to think creatively. And so like, man, I just, I commend that to us as a church to continue to, to not give up. It's easy to give up and just be like, ah, I'm just gonna do my own thing. Um, Cause it's easier and it's easy. I think for us to become consumers, you know, like, Hey, there's church on the screen. And uh, I'll just kind of show up to City Group if I can get to it, you know, because it's on Zoom and that's kind of lame or whatever. It's easy for us to, I think, just to slide into being consumers in this in this period of COVID. And I, I just think um, as we read the Bible, we see that that's not God's design for his people to be consumers. Um, God's people are defined as servants and um, worshipers and lovers of one another. And um, so, yeah, that's good. Let me, let me switch gears for us. Um, one of the questions we had last night at a leadership meeting that I'd love to hear you guys uh, speak on is, I think it was articulated something like this. How do we move people from um, basically just sharing their opinions to people that are quick to say, the Bible says. So um, here's what I think versus here's what God thinks based on like that. That seems like a journey of discipleship, you know, like when I'm uh, an unbeliever, I don't care what God thinks. I think what I think, but those that name Jesus as Lord um, want to be about the master's business, right? We want to be about what he's doing. We want to be on board with him. We want to follow him as our leader. And so how do we know that? Well, we know that through God's word. So how do we help people move along that journey of, of discipleship, along that journey of Christian development? 
um, from just here's what I think to here's what God thinks based on what he's revealed in his word. You guys have thoughts about that? Yeah. Uh, what comes to mind right away is I'm trying to talk louder <laughs> is um, it comes back to a, the gospel, what you believe about who you are and who God is. And then what you believe about the sufficiency of scripture. If you believe it's applicable to all areas of life, then when you formulate opinions, you'll want to go to the word and see what it says about that topic or yeah, so that's the first thing that comes to mind and how to move people from point A to point B. Um, first, I would say starts with prayer. Like prayer has to be the foundation for the people in your city groups, uh, praying for them and an authentic walk through scripture yourself. And I think as leaders, the more you get excited about scripture, the more you're interacting with it, the more you're learning and growing, people are going to catch that enthusiasm. So that's just what comes to mind right away. Jimmy Dean, what do you have for us? No, that's good. I think, yeah, I was, I would echo that, all of that. I was going to say a little bit to your second point there of uh, just modeling well um, and, and watching how you conduct yourself specifically like in city group and in any interaction you have with um, folks of, what are you saying? Are you saying this is what I I believe or are you going back to God's word of this is what God's word says? Um, and obviously that then um, means that you believe God's word is, as Laurel said, um, uh, meant to equip us for all things. And so it goes back to what you believe. But yeah, I think it's uh, modeling well, um, not just how we want people to communicate, but modeling well. Um, as Laurel said, like our enthusiasm for scripture, um, that there is such truth um, and power in God's word. Um, I think it's big. And I think it's um, those things are caught um, as people see your love for scripture uh, and the way in which you answer questions as things are brought into group life. Yeah, I think implied in the question as well is how do we as leaders kind of like help people walk alongside people so that they do grow and develop. And I think one of the things I always just say is, you know, oftentimes what discipleship boils down to is teaching model, teaching model, teaching model. So I'll just focus on the modeling side. You know, um, typically we become like who we hang out with. And so if you're a leader, how are you modeling over and over again that it's not just what I think, but it's what God thinks? And I evidence that by, um, I just talk about the Bible a lot and I try to not do it in a way that's um, arrogant or, or preachy necessarily, but it's in a way that's very natural and just like, yeah, I'm reminded of this text and that really means this to me and this is why I think it's helpful. And that kind of thing comes out of your mouth all the time people can't not notice that. Um, and I think just modeling that, like people become like who they follow. And so if you're a leader, that's one of the most powerful ways to help people grow is to give them a vision through your very own life for what we're trying to shoot for. It's why Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and doctrine closely. Timothy's a leader. And he says to him, man, people are watching you 
And so you need to watch your own life and your own doctrine really closely because um, what we model really, really matters. So, yeah, that's really helpful. Um, I want to take a, a, a chance to just get to know you guys better. You know? Oh, well, that's so nice of you, how Zach. Does, how does that sound? James, are you down with that? I can get down with that. Um, you guys are so flexible and just easygoing. Just as a, a quick aside, I sprang this podcast episode upon them literally 15 minutes ago. And you guys are compliant and joyful. I mean, come on. That is that is a blessing. Uh, James is smiling with his Cheshire cat smile right now and... Laurel is rolling her eyes at me like she tends to do. Um, so give us kind of um, your ministry experience that led you to today. Like what, so what, and this this doesn't have to be super in-depth, Laurel, don't worry. <laughs> Laurel is like super angsty because she likes to be super prepared and I love to just wing it. And so that's a little background mm. into our uh, staff relationships. So you don't have to like give us like the details, but just like from the moment you started thinking, I think I might be interested in full-time ministry. Where did you go? What have you been doing? Like what are the ministry things you've been doing before the Vine Church? Well, <laughs> that's a huge question, Zach. <laughs> um, a definite turning point in my life was when I was at Iowa State University and I grew up in a... Let's go clones. Yep. Um, anyway, um, now I lost my train of thought, James. I was at Iowa State and I grew up in a home where my parents were faithful to teach me the word of God. They were faithful to bring me to church Sunday morning, Sunday night. I did youth group. I did Awana. So just very diligent and faithful to teach me the word of God. And I remember going on this retreat with the salt company at Iowa State University. And they had a guest speaker. His name was Erwin McManus. <clears throat> and he got up and talked about a Jesus I didn't know. And it was at that point that I realized that all of my knowledge was um, futile. or f It felt futile or fruitless because I didn't know Jesus. And I remember for me, that began a journey of sort of just pushing aside all that I thought I knew and reopening the word of God to discover the man, Jesus. And I was heavily discipled that year through um, university um, by a couple of faithful women. And that began to transform my heart um, and I grew to love Jesus, to love the gospel. And from there, um, sort of set me on a trajectory of, I want to do something that helps people encounter Jesus, to know Jesus, to love Jesus with the rest of my life. And it was about the same time that I met Justin. And um, together, as um, we got married, uh, spent a year praying about what the Lord would have next for us. Um, we'd had two kids by this point. And um, over the course of the year, um, came to realize that the Lord was calling us overseas and um, moved overseas for 13 years to serve um, as missionaries in Central Asia. And now I forgot your question. 
<laughs> oh, right. Yeah. So we served overseas and then we moved back to the States, um, which brought us to the Vine Church. And I've been working here ever since. Yeah, it's kind of funny. Our stories are kind of the same. They sure are. Because I am also a fellow Iowa State grad. Zach is the odd one out. Here's a Panther, right? You and I? Yeah. So clearly, Laurel and I are... Superior. Superior. Absolutely. (laughs) But I as well at Iowa State, I think... I mean, there's so many like mini moments, right, that lead up. It's hard to capture it all, but... I think what I always point back to is my senior year at Iowa State. Uh, I Well, maybe I should back up. I went to Iowa State to be the next general manager of the Oakland Athletics, which is a baseball team. Uh, love sports. I was a sports management major. Very tough degree. Uh, but that was my pursuit. I had a really good internship throughout college in the athletic department at Iowa State. It's a Big 12 school, so athletics is big time there. Um, and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to move up the ranks and eventually be somebody important in the sports world and the business side, since I realized as a high school kid that I was not going to be a professional athlete, but still wanted to be around it. So, um, but yeah, I think the turning point was I did to complete my degree. I did an internship in a central Asian country. Wow. Not where Laurel was, but a place called Tajikistan, um, and was there for about uh, almost a year. And uh, God just really used that in my life to turn me and just what was most important. Um, where I went to Iowa State thinking the most important thing for me was to rise in the ranks of in the sports industry. Um, and not, not at all wrong to do so. Um, got a lot of friends that are, are still in that. Um, but I feel like the Lord through just, uh, things that I was involved in, in Tajikistan, sh- uh, just challenged and shaped my heart to see that, um, what was most important for me in my life was to point people to Jesus and, and Christ and, um, just the joy that it brought to see people follow him uh, there in Tajikistan and a cross-cultural experience uh, sometimes is defining when you're out of your own comfort zone a little bit. And so when I came back uh, from that experience, went back and told my pastor um, that this experience was really shaping for me of kind of changing what was um, what my pursuit might be in life. And uh, he affirmed, I'm I like what you're saying and would encourage you to uh, pay off school debt and get some Bible degree uh, if that's kind of the direction you want to go, which I think was really good advice because, as we all know, ministry is not the most high-paying vocation. Um, That's not why we do ministry. Uh, But being able to pay off my debt and then getting Bible uh, education um, was a good decision in that moment, which eventually led me uh, here to Madison. Thank you, guys. It's cool to hear your story and your journeys. Uh, mine was through music. And so in probably 19, gosh, uh, 1996-ish, I was asked to lead the first contemporary worship service in Iowa, in Cedar Falls, Iowa. <laughs> and man, back then, that was a revolution. Like, you, you know, a lot of you who are listening to this who are younger, you know, 
you won't remember a time when like drums and guitars in church was like a huge controversial deal. But uh, I had some music gifts that uh, that I was using in different bands and stuff. And I had this local church leader um, ask me to come in and lead this contemporary worship service. And basically I said yes to that. And um, my trajectory was set from that moment on where I wasn't able to kind of shake this desire uh, to, to work in the local church. And so uh, I was a music pastor um, in Cedar Falls, Iowa, and then we moved to Iowa City so that my wife could go to graduate school. And I was there for about five years as a music pastor. And then we moved to Nashville so I could pursue being a Christian music rock star. Um, but really all that that amounted to was me working at Applebee's. Um, affectionately known as Crapplebees. Um, but no, I did get some really cool opportunities in the, in the Christian music industry. Um, and then from there, I went back to being a worship pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And when we were there, so much of what um, the vine is was shaped when we were in Albuquerque uh, in terms of philosophy of church leadership, philosophy of missions, philosophy of preaching, um, just a lot of things really shaped what the vine is today. And it was there that I really grew in my desire to lead and to teach. And, um, it was funny when we lived in Nashville, we attended, uh, we attended a, a church plant that met in a movie theater. And I remember thinking at the time, like, man, setting up, tearing down every week, this is lame. Like I would never want to do a church plant. And it's just, I've learned over the years that whenever I say never, um, the Lord, I think, laughs at that and things don't. I said also, I'll never. I said to the guy in Albuquerque when he was kind of uh, recruiting me to, to be their worship pastor, he you know, wanted me to come. And I typed out this email that said, um, God would have to literally part the Red Sea of our lives to get us to move to Albuquerque. But I'll talk to you on the phone. And... Uh, I think God laughed at that because we were there a few months later and lived there for four years. Hmm. Um, so I've learned to never say never. Um, but that's really what brought me here in 2010 to be a part of a church planting team. Um, and it's been 10 years. It's been, it's been a journey. It's been so good and so hard all at the same time. And I'm so thankful for it. Laurel, that's my name. Yeah, were you going to say something? Oh, I thought Laurel? you were going to say, I'm so thankful for Laurel. <laughs> well, I am thankful for Laurel, and I'm thankful for Jimmy Dean over here. I was uh, going to say yeah, something. Please. A fun fact about Zach and I, I don't even know if I've reminded you of this, but we were in rival worship bands in college, <laughs> and we played at the same conference at the same time. I didn't know you were in that band. I was with Mark Arendt. You were in that band? Yes. Wow. And you guys were the super punk what? crew. No, I remember your worship band was like, I was intimidated. Oh, good. You guys you had your been. stuff together, yeah. and we thought we were the best worship band in, in the state. Who won? Well, we didn't exactly. Who won? Uh, we didn't have a vote or anything. It was supposed to be uh, a focus not on the individual abilities of the mm -hmm. band. It was more supposed to be a focus on the Lord. That's right. Lots of worship. I, I would say um, no. I won't say. <laughs> yeah, you could see where our 20-something headspace was at at that point. Um, pretty excited about ourselves. Um, here's my question for you guys. What's the best thing about working at a local church? 
Oh my gosh, it's when that door opens downstairs and they hear somebody coming up the stairs and they start singing the minute they walk through the door and they always sing the same song. What is that song? Well, it's, I can't sing it. It's, this is how we do it. This is how we do it. That's it. Sha la 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 la. This is how we do it. That is the best part about working here at the Vine. Oh man. That's a window into our staff relationships right there. But on a more serious note, <laughs> we may have to edit that out. James, I don't what do think you think? So. I'm, I'm tired of listening to Laurel. What do you think? What's the best part of what's the best part of working not even here, just at any church? Is this the only church you've ever worked at, James? It, this is the only church I've ever looked, worked at. So what's the best part about working at the local church, James? So not specifically this church. Whatever. But if I had worked at other churches. Sure. <laughs> um, well, I, I would say two things. I mean, on a, I, I mean, I think anytime you get to intentionally work with people to um, help them grow in the relationship with Christ is, um, it's a joy. Um, I think that is no doubt the best thing to see people take that next step in their faith and um to to journey with them uh is an incredible privilege and honor um and yeah i think that's for me the best thing i think on a really practical level i think church does offer just for where my stage of life a family it offers uh, incredible flexibility to it's not necessarily like a you have to be here from nine to five um but it's meetings and appointments and zoom calls um that kind of hit you at different times. And so you can kind of craft um, your family schedule. I got, what I'm trying to say is you can be a little unique in how you do your day to day, which is, is nice for our stage of life as a family. So I'd say those two things come to my mind. Can I say anything, Zach? <sighs> Laurel, share with us, Laurel. Share. I agree with James. I love having a front row seat into changed lives. Um, and I love uh, the Word of God, and I love working with people with the Word of God. Um, I also really love all the guys I work with. It oh, is. It's so sweet. It is. It's really nice. I'm really blessed and thankful. I learn from all of you different things about ministry and the Word of God and how to lead. And I feel like um, it's been such a huge growing experience for me to get to work with and for all of you. So... Yeah, I would echo that. I think um, it's just like a marriage. Like when a marriage is really thriving and doing well, there's a lot of joy in that. Or when there's a, a like a best friend that you have and that relationship is going really well, it, there's beauty in that. Um, when a church staff or a church uh, elder board are working in unison and really thriving, I, I think there's few things that are more um, enjoyable than that. Like, man, we're on the same team. We're heading the same direction. We're, we're, we're seeking to reflect God's heart as we relate to one another for the purpose of pushing this vision and mission forward in the world. Like there's, for me, that's really, really, uh, beautiful. And the opposite's always true. Also true. Like when those relationships are hard, um, it's really hard. It's really hard. So we pay a lot of attention to our relationships as a, as a primary importance because we know 
in some sense, the church stands or falls on the health of our relationships. And, um, that's not everything, but it's a, you know, it's a huge part of it. Um, so I would say that I think in addition, um, one of the best parts about, uh, what we do or what I get to do is, um, just to travel the world for the sake of church planting. And so in the last decade, I've gotten to go to Ecuador many times. I've gotten to go to Morocco many times. Um, and that's something that I'd never done before, uh, age 35 was the first time I left the 48 States. And, um, so I'm just really, really thankful that God has expanded my heart for the nations. Um, just in these last nine years and being able to travel internationally, it's been such a blessing to see what God is doing around the world. Um, it's so important. And, uh, so yeah, I would echo what these guys said too, in terms of just like seeing people's lives changed, you know, it's, it's really, really cool. It's such a joy to be a part of it. And, um, I, I feel like something that we really celebrate a lot is we celebrate conversions as we should. And so you know, I get choked up almost every baptism service. Um, I feel like what we underemphasize is the winds of sanctification that we see in people's lives. Like, man, this person used to just really gossip a lot. And it's clear they just aren't doing that anymore in the same way. Like they've grown a lot in five years. Like in my mind, that should be celebrated just as much because it's just as much a work of the spirit as conversion is. Um, and so when we get to see conversion and we get to see people growing in holiness, growing in their faith, growing in, in crucifying the flesh and fighting sin and experiencing the joy of obedience. Um, and that, that's, that's a rush too. So I really love that. What's the hardest part about being on staff at a church? I can start. Um, these guys are thinking it over cause I gave them a lot of time to prepare um, no, uh, for me, the, the hardest part probably is, I think it's, it's, um, a lot of people say to me, man, I know you're so busy. I know you're so busy and you've got a thousand things going on. And there are times when there's a thousand things going on and we're really busy and it's, you know, um, a, a long work week in terms of hours on the clock, but that's not what it is. Um, in my experience, like, it's not that there's 8,000 things on the calendar, um, but it's more like parenting. I feel like pastoring is akin to parenting. And so, you know, as parents, we set our own schedule and we set a schedule that hopefully looks not like laziness and doesn't look like um, overwork either. But, you know, there's just a weight that you carry that's emotionally taxing. So, um, and, and it never really leaves cause you're parents and you love these kids more than anything. And I think the same is true of pastoring is there's just an emotional weight that you don't ever really let go of. Um, it's just part of the calling, but at times it's, it's hard and it's at times it, it weighs heavy. So there's lots of different things that we do to, to maintain perseverance in the midst of that. Um, but you know, and it's not always just like parenting. It's not always this weight of emotional turmoil based on problems that might be out there, but sometimes there is. And, uh, that's something that I think is maybe the most challenging thing about 
being a pastor or being on staff is like pastoring as parenting. It's, I think it's a perfect analogy. It's all the same principles in my mind as I'm a parent of four kids and helping lead uh, at the vine. And so I think that for me, what would be the hardest is just the emotional weight of things. Um, what do you guys think? Yeah, I, I definitely feel that too. I think I think for me it's hard to um, it's hard for me to I don't even know how to say it, but it's hard to find that dependence on God, um, and that 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 that's like my anchor, my anch- that that my hope in Christ and who I am in Christ, like that's my anchor, um, because I think you see people. Um, who it it goes both ways. You see people like in a sense, celebrate you in the sense of, Hey, you're doing a a great job. Lord's really using you in my life. And it's easy to then think more highly of yourself and lose the dependence, um, on God. Um, and then you see other people who, you know, walk away from faith, who make decisions that, um, are just, you know, tragic. Um, and that's, um, I can, I can lose my dependence, my dependence on God in that situation as well of if I would have done something, if, if I would have done something differently or said something at this moment, um, I could have changed it rather than depending on God. And so I guess like, I guess maybe what I'm trying to say is I, I think the challenging thing is, is being rooted in the dependence in God, whether it's, uh, you know, a high season of things are going really well, or it's a low season of walking alongside, you know, an individual, um, who may be in, you know, a greater deal of, um, suffering or sin or, or whatnot. And so, uh, where's my dependence? Um, I find that that's kind of the check of, um, being faithful in that, if that made it sense at all. Yeah, I agree with both Zach and James. It's hard to say, hard to rearticulate that in any other way. Um, yeah, we do. We love our people. We love the people we meet with, we minister to. And when they aren't doing well, we think about it. We pray about it. It can keep us up at night. Um, and it's remembering that this that we're called to be faithful and obedient, but we can't save, we can't fix. It has to be the power of the Holy Spirit. And um, just rehearsing that and remembering that when you do wake up or when you do go home heavy-hearted, um, remembering that it's not up to you and releasing it and letting it letting it go and trusting the Lord that He who began a good work in me, in you is faithful, is faithful to complete it. And we're on that journey of becoming complete. And, um, it is a weight that we carry. It's hard to turn it off. Um, uh, it's hard to turn it off in the evenings and weekends. Um, so there is that challenge there. Yeah, that's good. Here's another angle on it. What's, what's one thing that you, um, what's one thing, how do I say this? What's one thing that people probably don't know about your job that you wish they did know? I can, I can start. These guys are loving that I'm springing these questions on them with no, <laughs> no advance notice. Um, and so I'll just share while they think about how to answer that question. I think, um, for me, 
Well, well, the the funny answer is, you know, a lot of people think that pastors just like write a sermon real quick and then go play golf all week. And it's like, no, that's not, well, maybe James's case, but (laughs) disc golf. No. Um, yeah, no one around here I think is, is erring on the side of laziness, but, um, yeah, like there's, there's a lot more that goes into like writing a sermon, um, I think though for me, and I'm maybe going to tweak my, the question a little bit or tweak my answer, it maybe might, may, might not be as direct an answer to the question as I would prefer. But, you know, I ask the question, so I guess I can answer it however I want, right? Um, no, like people think, and I've heard people tell me this, that um, I think everyone just thinks that I'm super confident and I present myself in a way that seems that I'm super confident. Um, and if I think if you didn't know me, you would assume that maybe just by how I talk or how you see me preach or something. But the reality is um, I'm a mess a lot of the time. And I don't feel like super confident, you know, where like I just I know all the right things to do. It's, again, it's just like parenting. You know, you get into scenarios in parenting where it's like, man, this is a tough one. And making decisions that affect people's lives is, um, is challenging, is challenging. And so like, um, I think that's something that I would love for people to know is like, we really take that seriously when we make decisions as elders or as a pastor that, that for the vision of our church that affects people's lives, um, there's a lot of times where we don't feel like we have it all together. I don't feel like I have it all together. And I'm just saying, Lord, would you help us? Like you just brought to your knees in dependence. And so that probably happens more than you might think it does for someone like me. Um, cause you, cause I am the guy that has to stand up and be confident with God's word open. And so like most of what people see of me is probably in that kind of arena, but in my office at home, talking through stuff with Kim, talking through stuff with James and Laurel or the elders, like, um, it's not always so just like laser focus. Here's the right thing to do. Boom. We're moving forward. You know, I love what Matt Chandler said, you know, one time at a conference, you know, he was talking about mega churches and the, the, the impression that mega churches have it all together. And, and he, he's pastors a mega church and he's like, the reality is behind closed doors, like we're all just trying stuff. No one knows, no one knows exactly what they're doing. Um, and we're all just out here trying stuff. And that, that, of course that's an overstatement, but I think it is true that, um, that there's way more just day by day dependence on the Holy Spirit. The times that I just get by myself and I'm just say, Lord, I don't know what to do. Would you help me? Like that's increased a ton more um, as I've had leadership roles that bear more weight of responsibility in my, um, in my like late thirties and forties. So what would you guys say? <laughs> it's, it's hard to follow that, Zach. The first thing that came to my mind was that sometimes I clean the toilets. <laughs> That's what most people probably don't know. Um, and I, I don't mind doing it. <laughs> I mean, it has to happen sometimes. Um, 
Yeah, I think one thing that I would want people to know and believe is that um, when I say I'm praying for them, it's not just a phrase. It's not just something I'm saying because um, you might be meeting with me for discipleship or counseling or whatever, um, but that I'm sincere and I'm genuine and I and I do pray for you. Um, and I know that we all do as staff members. We, we gather once a week and pray um, and other times. But yeah, that prayer plays a huge, huge role in how I prep for meeting with people, um, how what I talk about with them. And um, yeah, it's very significant in my discipleship of other people. I take the power of prayer very seriously. And I've seen the Lord do incredible things in people's lives without me even opening my mouth sometimes where I see something and I know something needs to be talked about and I'll just start praying about it and praying about it and just sit back and watch. And sometimes the Lord works without me even having to say anything. And that's really incredible. So yeah, that's what came to mind besides cleaning toilets. James cleans out the basement sometimes and weeds the lawn and what else? I can't say I've ever cleaned a toilet. Well, at the Vine. Well, James has a bidet, but what does that have to do with cleaning toilets? <laughs> do we want to talk about bidets? Because uh, I can, I could talk about that <laughs> for a while. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I appreciate both those answers. I think, um, yeah, lots of, there's, yeah, I, I don't think I can say anything different. I was, what was the question? What's, What's James? Come on. I need you to focus for me. Um, no, what is one thing that people probably don't know about your job that you wish they, they did know? That's a hard question for James because he just came on staff in the middle of COVID. Uh, I don't know. Um, not, not much comes to my <laughs> mind on this, but you know, I think it's probably like any job. This is not a very great answer, but I think, I think there's always an expectation. I don't know. I'm going to say that. Um, I'm going to, I'm just going to affirm what you guys said. I'll answer for you. One thing that you probably don't know about James is he loves to sit in the dark. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I walk into his office and it'll be cloudy outside. No lights on. No overhead lights. I, I understand that because I hate overhead lights, especially at fluorescent ones. No overhead lights on, but not even a lamp in his office. And he's just sitting there, hovered over his laptop like Gollum would hover over the ring and he's just working away in the dark. And he just, what's the deal with that, James? Saving the church money. Good answer. Something else you probably don't know about James, or maybe or maybe you do, is that the James you see on a Sunday morning is the same James that's in the office. This is James. Loud, Loud spaz, happy, smiling all the time. Chipper. Yeah, it's good. Warm. Yeah. Maybe we should have answered for each other. That'll oh. be the next podcast. Okay. Because that sounds like it could get a little dicey. 
Here's what you don't know about Zach. I'm an open book. Uh, last question. We need to wrap this up. Um, hey, bring it in. <laughs> James is having a fun time here. Um, this is a serious question. What dreams do you have for the Vine Church? <laughs> Can we just do hobbies or something? <laughs> what dreams do we have for the Vine Church? When you think about the Vine Church and like, I'll, I'll, I'll narrow it down a little bit. When you think about the Vine Church, if you could dictate like a dream that you have for the Vine Church that could come to pass in the next five to 10 years, um, what, 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 do you, what would it be? What, what do you see? What would you, what would make you so happy to see like, man, in five years, the Vine Church was this um, or had accomplished this or looked like this, um, what would you say? I, I would love to see people who know how to accurately handle the word of truth, people who are counseling one another, people who are loving the word, loving the Lord, have developed prayer lives and are being faithful to minister to one another. And whether that looks like uh, a biblical counseling training center, which I don't know if is in line or vision with the Vine Church, but if I were here long term, um, I would want to continue to work towards that to equipping to um, not having people feel like they have to go to a quote unquote counselor, but being confident in the word of God and being able to um, counsel and care for one another. So practicing the one another's, that's what I would want it to be. That Madison Multiply and the church planning networks, the churches we plant, would be a church that practices faithfully the one another's that you see all throughout scripture. And new bathrooms. (laughs) With bidets installed. With bidets. Yes, it's environmentally friendly. Uh, I, I, yeah, I'd say I'd go after multiplication. I would say five, 10 years, let's have, um, plan a church, um, uh, every, every year of those. I mean, are we just dreaming? Sure. Yeah. Dreaming in confidence. Yeah. Continuing to plant churches, um, that every city group that exists right now would plant another city group. Um, just that we'd see the multiplication of church planting and city groups uh, grow around our city of Madison, um, that parents would continue to grow and uh, being primary disciple makers of their kids, that as our kids get older, um, that they're um, just growing in the foundational truth of who Christ uh, is and their knowledge of Scripture, um, that we would just see students um uh, leading, leading us as a church, uh, leading the charge in evangelism and um, uh, mercy and, and gospel truth to, to our community. Um, and I, you know, I've, I always think too about like international students and uh, just the incredible win we have here in Madison with the nations in our community. Um, and so just dreaming of um, seeing um, the gospel interrupt nations with um, in, informally having, we're sending people back to the nations uh, who may be absorbed here at the Vine for a time as they come to study. So I don't know. There's a litany of things. I think we need a busing ministry too. Man, Amy Anderson. Amy Anderson's going to start a busing ministry. The bus driver. You all heard Dude, it here. Dude, that would rule. Um, yeah, so the church I grew up in mm-hmm. and the camp I went to 
had school buses. I know. And we called it the fun bus. And James, I don't know if we can figure that figure that one out in terms of the basement getting the fun bus. Well, for but, international students. Yeah. Or... Church road trips, camping <laughs> trips, Grateful Dead concerts. No, I don't think we'll be doing that. Amy Grant. Yes. I just said to someone, yeah, Sunday night. Friday night. Friday night. Uh, that Amy Grant, Lead Me On, best Christian album ever. I commend it to you highly. Um, what would I say? What I would say is I think we need to, uh, I would love to see the Vine Church just really grow in evangelism. Um, I think it starts with me. So I want to grow, continue to grow in evangelism. Um, I pray a lot. I find myself praying that more and more that that uh, we would just see conversions. We would just see conversions. And um, when we watched the 10-year anniversary video with all those testimonies, two things jumped off the page for myself. And when I was debriefing with James, a theme was... Uh, Gospel centrality, people understanding the gospel and how it applies to every aspect of life. That's been something that's impacted them. And community being a profound impact on people's lives, just the depth of community, commitment to community, the beauty of community. So when you think about our three pillars, gospel, community, mission, we didn't hear a lot in those testimonies about mission or evangelism. Um, And that doesn't mean it's not happening because it is happening, but I'd love to see that if we do a 20 year video, be like, man, uh, evangelism has just been something that we've really emphasized and I've gotten to do it a lot and people have gotten converted. Um, and just hearing those testimonies, man, I'd really love to see that be an emphasis, um, in the, in the future. Cause I feel like it's, it's just hard. And in our cultural context, it's increasingly challenging. Um, but God's spirit is still alive and he's still converting people and people are still just being wait. People are just waiting to be, um, asked. And, uh, so lots to say there, but that's kind of where my heart's at. In addition to everything that these guys have already said, I would agree with that. So anything else you guys want to share before we sign off here? I can't think of anything. I can't either. Well, I just want to say thanks for this wasn't that bad to do an impromptu podcast was it not too bad laurel we good i think so i'll come back to work tomorrow okay awesome thank you guys for listening we love you and uh we will be back sooner than later 